0: Everyone, welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman. Welcome to those of you who are joining us for the podcast on your podcast player of choice. Let's talk about brand with the Ad Podcast Network is coming at you every single Monday with a new guest expert interview talking all about branding. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Or Perhaps you're joining us on YouTube. Every single Friday, I drop the video podcast on YouTube. So make sure to join us over there as well. The channel is Christine Gripman Inc. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single video podcast as well. And in between the Monday podcast drop and the Friday video podcast, I want to hear from you on the week's topic. That's what Chat About Brand is for. Hashtag Chat about Brand is my Twitter chat. I'm on Twitter every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time, hosting Chat About Brand, which is always on the same topic as the guest interview of the week. And this week's topic I'm really excited about. This week's topic is about a frequently overlooked arena in personal branding, which is companies building internal thought leaders. We all know that pretty much every industry has their thought leaders and companies are starting to get wise to realizing hmm we have really smart people who are incredible at their jobs maybe they could be the people other people are listening to it's great for the company's reputation it's great for you know loyalty it's great for recruiting there's a whole bunch of reasons it's great it's a real focus of mine especially in 2023 and that's why I was so excited to have this week's guest on to discuss it, Ashley Foss. She works for Atlassian, and she works in product marketing, but helping to develop internal thought leaders, including herself, has become a big part of her job and a bit of a personal passion. I heard Ashley discuss this on stage at uh, Marketing Profs B2B Forum back in October, and so I'm very, very excited to bring her here today to discuss it on Let's Talk About Brand. All right. Without any further ado, let's bring on
1: Ashley. Hello. Oh, I couldn't feel like it makes me feel very energized. I'm very excited about all of this. Yeah. You know, we want you to feel special.
0: You know, you'll notice you're not just guest. You are guest star. That's that's how I label my guests, because you know what? This isn't about me talking about brand. It's about you talking about brand. Us. I get in there a little bit, too.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Indeed.
0: So uh, I loved hearing you speak about this topic at Marketing Profs B2B Forum. So I want to just kind of jump right into it. Um, Taking a step back, actually, I always like defining what the heck we're even really talking about. So when we talk about developing internal thought leaders, what does that mean exactly?
1: Let's take a full step back and talk about what do we mean when we say thought leadership? And at its core... Uh, If you go back to the actual words that make up that phrase is have thoughts and be a leader, which means that you have to be doing new and interesting things. You have to be thinking smart things. You have to be sharing that information. And then you have to have a following, which you get because you have codified that idea, codified those new tactics, um, codified that innovation, and you've started to share it to build a following. So that's the first thing is, you know, we have to have thought leaders. Then, when we start to talk about that from an internal perspective, what we mean is having that perspective out in the industry on behalf of the brand. And so it's this symbiotic relationship between the employees who are developing and having those thoughts and codifying those ideas and sharing and the brand who's standing behind it or who is giving them resources or who is amplifying those thoughts. And so it's got to be this symbiotic relationship. Um, A lot of people think that we're going to do. Thought leadership for an executive or for a founder. That doesn't work. If the founder doesn't already have things to say, then they have no thoughts, right? They may be a leader of the company, but they don't have any thoughts to become a thought leader. Or if all of that smart information is just locked internally, then you've got a lot of thoughts, but you're not being a leader by sharing those thoughts and having other people. Drive that conversation forward, influencing the industry, influencing those trends, um, and really starting to reap the benefits of having thoughts and being a leader.
0: I love what you said about how they do need to have their own thoughts you're not just you know a script writer. And putting the executive up on stage like a ventriloquist dummy, sort of parroting. I mean, it it doesn't work, right? People see right through that. And, of course, a lot of times people want to hear you have a live conversation, not just a prepared set of remarks. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit of the devil's advocate view of that here for a moment. Um, I, I had a conversation with my brother about this, and he was like, why would companies want to put their people out there To, as you put it, Ashley, share that knowledge with other people to be a leader. Why share that knowledge? Why not just hoard it? Why not just take those brilliant employees, keep them a secret so that no one, no other companies try to poach them and uh, have them keep their brilliant thoughts to yourself, only benefiting your company? Why should and why are companies increasingly? developing and and getting on board with this idea of being broader industry thought leaders
1: there's actually two things in that statement uh kind of to poke holes in i think the first i'll talk about is around building trust and rapport with your audience so the elman trust barometer is a longitudinal study that's been running for a decade plus and what they've found is that trust has been declining over the last decade particularly in formal authorities so um, you know, traditional business leaders, politicians, religious leaders, even the press. But what they do find is that people trust people like themselves. And in the 2022 study, they actually called out a difference between trusting any CEO versus trusting my CEO. And so when you have that personal connection and you have that personal relationship, you build that trust. And because of that trust, you want to work somewhere. You want to buy something, you want to become a strategic partner, you want to join for co-marketing opportunities, you want to partner from a nonprofit or profit or a CSR perspective, right? There's a whole host of benefits from having that trust. So that's the first piece of why they're realizing, okay, we can't just have one person in the ivory tower repeating these talking points. It's gotta be people across the organization so that you can build that trust and rapport with all different types of audiences. The second piece of this, which uh, the comment I hear a lot is, well, if our people, if we start showing that our people are very smart, they're solving these very interesting problems, they're able to attract other candidates, they're able to attract customers, they're going to get poached. I would suggest that if someone is poachable, it is not just because someone else saw that they were smart. It's because the company is not helping them continue to grow their career or is not aligned with their values in some way. This could be a compensation issue. This could be a promotion issue. This could be a core values issue. It could be that the work is just no longer interesting. So I think that's one piece of this poaching idea. The other piece is the idea that poaching is somehow like the company owns the employee, which is not a thing. Um, the, you know, employers and employees enter into a relationship that should be mutually beneficial for the two of them. And if an employee wants to leave, I actually think employers should encourage that because there's a couple of reasons for that. One, if they want to leave, they're probably not doing their best work for the company anymore. And that's not to say that they can't be doing quality work. It's not to say that they're not productive, but it's probably not their best work if they're not inspired or motivated or interested in that problem anymore. The second thing is they take the company with them. So I've had this a number of times where I've left companies um for example Duarte is a great example we parted ways amicably and I continue to refer people to them for speaking or for coaching or for workshops I've brought them in they did a workshop for atlassian for example so it's actually not a a loss it's not like killing the relationship if an employee leaves so those are kind of the two pieces that I'll respond to on that in terms of you know reaping all of the benefits of building that trust and rapport And then also understanding that just because the relationship changes doesn't necessarily mean that that change or that ending is, you know, a net negative for either the employee or the employer.
0: Yeah, it really is a very empowered position to be in as an employee in that regard, because it means, you know, you're going to stay where you're engaged. You're going to stay where you grow and where you are stimulated and, you know, a smart employer is going to do that and recognize the value of that. I think it's fair to say most companies recognize that it is a much better investment to focus on keeping a customer than investing in getting new customers. Of course, you need both. Um, And I think that the same is true of employees as well. So it's very good that smart companies are starting to realize that the better that they can treat people and the happier people are to be there, the better the work they're going to get. Um, so I would love to hear from you about your journey towards uh, this being part of what you do at Atlassian, because um, I mean you're in product marketing, and the people aren't the product. So how did this happen? How did this journey towards helping develop this for Atlassian's benefit um, fall to to you?
1: Dovetailing off of the, you know, smart employers realize that keeping their employees uh, by giving them engaging work. That actually kind of leads into how I ended up doing a lot of this. So um, I I got a lot of requests to to do thought leadership content, um, to say, you know, we need to put out smart things about the innovation that we're doing and why we're solving these problems and how we discover these problems. So we need to do thought leadership. And I kind of pushed back and I was like, I mean, maybe we should have thought leaders before we have thoughts, right? Like we we need to have the thoughts. And we need to have credible people out there saying these things, right? As a marketer, I don't have credibility. I I work with a lot of developers and I don't really have credibility with that audience. So I need to work with subject matter experts in that community to have that credibility. The problem is a lot of developers don't really have the core skills or responsibilities to codify their very smart ideas and share them. And I want to focus in on that codify word because a lot of people think that it's just about being smart uh to be a thought leader or, or that being good at your job makes you a thought leader. And that's not the case. This is a separate uh responsibility and a separate set of deliverables and outcomes. And so um as I started getting more of these requests and a key part of product marketing is helping people understand the problem that you solve and also helping them understand the shape of the solution so they can evaluate the solution, yours included, uh, so that they can implement the solution yours included, effectively. And so that's kind of where that marriage of the thought leadership work and the product marketing comes in. So I'll give you an example. We have um, a product that's currently in beta. It's called Compass. And it helps you really map and understand all of your microservices, distributed architecture, dependencies among your team, system health, team health. It's a very comprehensive tool to tame software sprawl. That's a lot of words that a lot of people struggle to understand or struggle to solve. And so when we talk about thought leadership, we need to have somebody who has worked across those different problems and can create that content, who can go on podcasts, who can share on LinkedIn about how and why you need to solve this problem and then how and what we're doing as Atlassian to solve it. And so that's where that marriage comes from a credible person, helping them amplify the smart ideas and the smart work that they're doing. And then it does eventually um, come into potentially a a buy intent funnel. Or if we need to hire people who have skill sets to help solve that problem, that would come into something like, you know, a trust or a recruiting type of funnel.
0: Now, I personally have a tremendous number of blind spots professionally, simply because the companies that I've worked for throughout my whole career I've been the target audience for. So I've been kind of speaking to myself in in a lot of the work that I've done. To your point, you know, this is an environment where you are surrounded by all sorts of subject matter experts that maybe aren't subjects that you are particularly an expert in necessarily yourself. So you have to be able to, you know, speak their language on some level. So how do you kind of evaluate what's going to work in terms of, you know, who you're putting forward and how, you know somebody saying that they can speak about something intelligently and clearly you know how do, how do you evaluate if that's really going to translate
1: i have a four pillar framework that i've developed it's credibility profile prolific and depth of ideas and so what you're really honing in on there is that mix of credibility and profile i would say so i actually see i'm i'm fortunate from a depth of ideas perspective um, We have a very strong internal blogging culture in Atlassian. And so a lot of people, you know, write these nascent ideas or say, hey, I'm exploring this thought or, hey, I noticed this problem or this gap. Here's some ways that I think we could potentially solve it. Or, oh, I read this super interesting thing. Here's how I think it relates to something that I'm working on. So the nice thing in that case is there's already a lot of kind of peer validation internally. Where people go on these, you know, long comment threads to pick apart each other's ideas or to build on each other's ideas, and so you can start to see that this resonates with the target audience. It is credible. Here's where there are gaps, or here's where maybe it's a nascent idea, which actually contributes very well to that depth of ideas because you want to be putting out new, novel, and innovative things, not just the same tried and true advice. So that's the first way is um, doing that validation with peers. Um, hopefully you have some folks internally or they have a network that they can do that with. The second piece is on that profile. And this is where, you know, are they gonna dedicate the time to go on podcasts, to develop conference talks and actually be on stage to make themselves available for press briefings or analyst briefings or investor briefings to actually take the time to put out that content? Are they gonna write it? Are they gonna record it? Are they gonna share it? on social media. And you do get a sense. um, There are some people who are just fundamentally, they are not good speakers or they are not good on camera. And yes, you can get them training, you can get them coaching, but they have to buy into that. So there's a piece of it that it's not just about, are you smart for yourself and for the problems that you're solving, but are you committed and able to grow in that skill set of actually doing the sharing? And so um, I have that four polar framework. It's got three different levels and there's proof points in terms of how often you're sharing the prestige of the outlets and how many, you know, inbound versus pitch acceptances do you get and the nature of those. Um, But you do have to help support. I think that you can't outsource the thinking and especially in the beginning, whoever that thought leader is has to be doing a lot of that content creation and codification because they're the ones that have the thoughts. Uh, But then as they continue to grow, you do have that support from marketing or PR or events or social media experts who can help them amplify the reach of content. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
0: And you've brought us really, really nicely to the next thing that I wanted to dig into, which is the opportunities, the platforms for developing these thought leaders. I mean, I imagine there's some of it that is, you know, internal in terms of you leveraging those thought leaders for content that Atlassian is putting out. But to your point, there's also external opportunities like podcasts, speaking opportunities. So how do you um, help shepherd that?
1: The first thing is to look at who the audience is and is it a practitioner audience? Is it an expert audience? Is it generally kind of the broader market audience? Um, So first is to look at the audience that you're reaching and kind of the depth and maturity of their knowledge about this topic. The second piece is looking at where do they spend time? Where do they find a lot of their credible information? So I actually have a worksheet, I like call it the personal branding worksheet, but it includes um a list asking whoever this person is to add a list of 25 influencers or accounts that they follow. And I specifically tell them that it cannot be mainstream outlets like the Wall Street Journal or the Harvard Business Review or, you know, Oprah, for example. Like, yes, everybody follows those. That is not a meaningful connection of your peers for most people. So where are you getting your information? Who do you think is credible? Why do you think that about them, right? So digging into that. And then the second piece is looking at different blogs and conferences or outlets that they would like to pitch. And so when you start asking people in the industry, again, you and I are both marketers, we know Inbound has a really strong reputation as a conference in our industry. Marketing Profs has a really strong uh, reputation as a conference in our industry, for example. Developers don't know those conferences. They don't know and they don't care, right? In contrast, AWS reInvent, Microsoft Ignite, Black Hat, um, RSA, those are some of the conferences that tend to have a good reputation um, among developers, for example. And I know that because I work with developers, but those conferences probably don't mean very much to you. So asking the people, where do you want to show up? What would be successful as a metric for you if you were on this stage or on this podcast? And then we start to target those on realistically, what are you going to get on? Um, so for example, a lot of people will reference how I built this um, or, or how they built that on NPR. Realistically, there are not a lot of people, especially if they're just starting out, who would successfully be able to get onto that podcast. And so um, I hear this a lot too, people saying, you know, marketers, yeah, I want to give the keynote at inbound. Okay. How? You have no followers. You have no frameworks. You've never given a conference. You've never I've been on a it. podcast. Like, why Why do you think you're going to be able to be the keynote at one of the biggest marketing conferences of the year, right? right? So helping people calibrate which tier of outlet they're likely to get into and then targeting the pitches again. As you're very first starting out, you're probably going to need to have more source citations, more actionable commentary and frameworks to provide. Then once you start getting in um, up to those upper tiers and you can speak more philosophically or conceptually about a lot of those ideas.
0: So for the people who are kind of, you know, their eyes are bigger than their stomach or whatever, (laughs) where they, they are kind of aiming high, but they're not there yet. How do you help them build? How do you help them, you know, even get to their initial first tier if they don't really come from that world yet?
1: One of the ways that I love to do this is, um, helping them build those foundational assets. So for example, a lot of people don't know that in order to get, uh, in order to pitch a conference, you have to have basically a pretty similar set across all of them of assets. You have to have an abstract. You have to have a title. You have to have a bio. You have to have a headshot. You have to have three key takeaways. And so one of the reasons that people are not successful in pitching is because they generate those all the time on the fly. So they're unfocused, they're not really tailored for a specific audience, and they're kind of just blue sky like, yeah, I have things to say. And it's like, okay, step one, focus in and build those assets. So I usually help people go through what I call a narratives worksheet. Um, And when we do that, we talk about the topics at different depths. So conceptual, which is the what and the why of the idea. Strategic, which is the tools, processes, and key knowledge components to make the idea reality, and then tactical. And that is the nitty gritty, super prescriptive, where the rubber meets the road to actually put in place the strategies to make the idea reality. So once we hone in on a couple of topics, we make sure that there's enough depth within that topic to carry you for somewhere between 12 and 18 months. Obviously, your ideas are going to change. Things are going to evolve. but If you only have one off, you know, half a LinkedIn post to say about this, it's probably not something that you want to use as a core topic. So then once we do that, we start to come up with that editorial calendar and then we start to come up with the pitches and then we start to target, you know, which outlets is this going to go on, say, the company blog? Is this going to go on LinkedIn? Are we going to pitch this to a third party outlet? So we really do get down to the nuts and bolts of when are you posting? Where are you posting? And how often are you doing that? Um, the answer should be regularly. Um, otherwise, you know, again, posting once a month on LinkedIn or going on, you know, one conference a year is not going to bill you um, that profile that you need in the industry.
0: Now, when it comes to things that you're creating, uh, where you're creating content with them for Atlassian, as you said, the company blog, things like that. Um, How do you work with them? How do you work with your subject matter experts in a way that is actually going to help them build beyond that piece of content?
1: It really depends on the person and it depends on the outlet. So we're fortunate because we're a large company to have a number of teams that help with us. We've got an SEO team. We've got a PR team. We've got an editorial team. We've got um, social media folks. We do have some people who are capable of ghostwriting. I think the biggest thing is making sure that we get time with that subject matter expert. Um, if it's ghostwriting, it needs to be probably several in-depth interviews. It needs to be taking some of their original content that they've created internally to then turn that into external content. Um, and then the other piece of this is, um, especially for some of our you know executives, making sure they get media training, making sure they get speaker coaching. Um, at the end of the day, the the foundation is really getting those thoughts out of their head, either onto paper or onto a recording that we can then turn into posts. Um, so it really depends on the person and kind of what level of person they're trying to work with. So we have somebody actually who sits on our team who is a tech evangelist. And so he is actually creating a lot of that content himself. And then we work with him to amplify the reach of that content. So it could be something as simple as he publishes something on LinkedIn and the brand handle uh, comments on that post because we know that that'll increase the reach because the brand handle has substantially more followers than he has. So it really depends on Thought Leader in terms of you know pitching or ghostwriting or amplification or just helping them think through the distribution plan um, so that they make sure they create enough assets across enough different depths and different outlets.
0: All right. Now, I didn't ask you to prepare anything for this next question, so feel free to keep it kind of anecdotal. But given that this program of thought leadership development within Atlassian um, didn't really exist until you, you know, really brought it to them, what are some ways that you have witnessed it benefit the company again you don't have to have facts or figures or anything but just kind of how long have you been doing it and what have you seen thus far
1: I'll push back a little to say that it didn't exist before I brought it to the company because we have had a number of really smart capable teams working on different pieces of this um and so I'll I'll say that my efforts to codify it via the framework and and partnering with different folks um that's that's helped to bring some structure to a bunch of disparate teams. But I would say we've been able to achieve a lot of amazing outcomes in terms of um, our PR team has secured a number of different press opportunities. Um, our work futurist has been on a number of really great stages with thousands of keynotes and attendees of um, all before I kind of got there and was like, hey, let's unite this a little bit. Um, so I, I will give credit where credit is due that this did not start with me. Um, But on the flip side of that, I think some of the biggest things that we've been able to do is generate that trust um, and opportunities for people who don't have a big title to bring to the table, right? There's some foundational credibility and opportunities that come with having a C-suite or founder level title that you just don't get if you're a senior manager or a director or a principal architect or a principal engineer, for example. And so um, I would say we've been able to see people skyrocket their reach on LinkedIn. We've had people get invited onto podcasts. We've had people get opportunities um, to present different sessions at some of the bigger developer conferences. And all of that comes because we've been able to build that, you know, smart thought leadership. We've been able to prove that they would add value, even if they don't have some of those other credibility markers, like a large following or like um, a lot of previous citations in other outlets, or something like that, right? So it's it's more that the first opportunity to be in some of these places has been has had outsized success compared to what their title or their past experience might suggest.
0: I love that. And that's so key. We're not just talking about the C-suite here. There's people at all levels who are subject matter experts, honestly, people who know what they're doing really well and probably have great thoughts to share. So um, in, in conclusion, if there's a company out there listening to this, maybe smaller. They don't have a ton of assets to support a whole big program um, for this, but they want to do what they can. They want to do what they can to harness some of this for themselves, to support their employees, to uh, develop that thought leadership that also puts their name out there as well. Um, How can they get started? What are some easy first steps that pretty much any company can take?
1: I'm highly biased to say that LinkedIn is a great place to get started, I think. Um, and I've seen this across manufacturing. I've seen this across software as a service companies. Um, I've seen this across data science companies, right? This is not just a platform for marketers. Um, There's a logistics person who, who has made, you know, gotten a ton of followers and, and gotten a ton of opportunities. So first, I would say empower your employees on LinkedIn. And this is not just giving them sets that they're supposed to copy and paste. This is talking to them about the values, talking to them about the stories, talking to them about the messaging so that they feel empowered to authentically share their experience at the company with the audience, how they're solving problems. Um, so I think that's the first thing is empower them on LinkedIn. I'd say the second thing is pick one to two additional people, like most companies, even smaller ones, are doing some of these steps for either a founder or potentially the CEO. So I would suggest picking an additional one or two people at lower levels of the company who are already starting to share and who already do have some practice in codifying the work that they're doing, the ideas that they're having, the innovation that they're driving, and start to focus in on, okay, how do we pitch them for some of these tier two or tier three opportunities, right? You probably only want to keep your founder or your CEO for tier one opportunities, but don't waste those tier two and tier three opportunities to speak or do press or to interview on a podcast um, or to publish in an outlet. There's a lot of smart folks who are doing really great things and they may already be sharing a lot, but no one can hear them. So amplifying those one to two additional voices, those would be the steps that I would say for smaller companies who aren't quite ready to build out a huge program across different disciplines at all levels of the company.
0: They may already be sharing a lot, but nobody can hear them. I love that. I hope more companies take that to heart. And yay, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best. I think we met on LinkedIn initially.
1: <laughs> we I can't remember if it was LinkedIn or Twitter, but yes, I need Could great one on of it. We're
0: both in both.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Speaking of which, Ashley,
1: Where can people
0: find you? Why should they find you? And what will they find there?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn um, and some on Twitter. I'm less prolific on Twitter, very prolific on LinkedIn. Ashley Foss in both cases. Uh, Why you should come there, I would actually say on LinkedIn, sometimes I get very sassy. I get very uh, sassy facial expressions when I talk about thought leadership, for example. Um, But I do also share bits and pieces of my frameworks. And so if you need, actionable advice to get started on this stuff. I post a lot of that content on LinkedIn. And uh, in terms of what you will find there, um, in addition to all of my professional stuff, every so often I post cake pictures um, and singing videos and every so often, you know, kiteboarding or fitness related things. So if you are interested in having a bit of whimsy in your feed, I occasionally provide that as well.
0: One thing I want to point out to everyone is that you do this professional thought leadership stuff, but you're also a full human online. You're a full human real life too, but I love that you you don't make it all business all the time because honestly, that's not what makes people connect. So So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much
1: for being here. This was great. Yeah, I'm so glad we were able to do this. Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you for being here as well. Whether you're joining us on your podcast player of choice, make sure to subscribe to Let's Talk About Brand with the Adweek Podcast Network. I'm coming at you every single Monday with new guest expert interviews. Or perhaps you're joining us on YouTube for our Friday video podcast drop. Also, make sure to subscribe there as well. And I really hope that you'll join us on Tuesday in between. Every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time, I'm on Twitter posting chat about brand, which is your opportunity to weigh in on the topic of the week. Thank you so much for joining me. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.